We are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. just remind you um, that we are sharing in the Lord's Supper today. Hopefully you've picked up one of these on your way in. If you're worshiping with us online today, you can go ahead and get whatever elements you can use um, for our time in Lord's Supper. We want you to be sure to join us during that time. Speaking of fire, speaking of fire, reading through this chapter in James for me has been kind of like waking up in the middle of the night and realizing that you're in the middle of a house fire and you have nowhere to go. Um, And I know that sounds kind of grim, but the further we move along in these first 12 verses of James chapter 3, it seems like the more grim they become for us, at least if we just look at those 12 verses without knowing the other things that James has already written or will write. So with that said, if you would stand with me, and we're going to read verses 7 through 12 of chapter 3. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we're grateful for these words from Pastor James to us. We need to hear these words. Lord, these words, even today, have power to affect us these so many years later because of the power of your spirit at work in them and through them and in us. And so, Father, we humbly submit ourselves to your words today. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Now, in verse 1 of James 3, James writes to aspiring teachers, and he delivers right from the beginning a word of warning. He says this, Dear brothers and sisters, how pastoral is that, by the way? Uh, James wants us to know, or the churches that receive this letter, that this is not all hard edges. Um, This is a pastor who loves the church and the people. 
And he says, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. A word of warning right at the beginning, especially for those who would aspire for words to be their business. Um, Mostly teachers and preachers in the life of the church, he says, you don't want to aspire to do that because you are going to be held to greater account for every single word you speak, primarily because, James says, and he's going to reinforce throughout this chapter, the first 12 verses, that your words carry significant weight and power. And for those reasons, you're going to be held accountable for your words. And again, we find the words of Jesus all up in the words of James. Jesus said something very similar in Matthew chapter 12. If you go to Matthew chapter 12 or 36 through 37, you can see it on the screen. Uh, Jesus said this, and he's speaking to Pharisees, leaders in the community. He says, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. That's the word of warning from James to those who would aspire to be teachers. He says, you're going to be held account. Judgment is coming for every single word that you say. So be careful with those words. Don't aspire to put yourself in a place where that's your business, speaking words, like my role. You don't want to be that. You want to be in that role. But we know that James didn't just intend for this instruction in verses 1 through 12 just to be for those who are in a position where they use a lot of words, like teachers or preachers, or for those to aspire to be teachers or preachers, which might be many of us. But I bet you a lot of you are like, I would never want to be doing what Danny's doing. I mean, how many of you love to talk in front of people? Any? Maybe Just, just a few. No, no other hands. So... so Is this passage for you too? Well, the short answer is yes. We know at the beginning in verse 2, he says, indeed we all. So we can know that James is about to go down a road where he is going to include all of us, not just those he would aspire to be teachers. Now, this is what I'm thinking. Why would James begin this section, which seems to have a lot of hard edges on it, in this way? I just have an opinion here. This is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking for most of us, when we see that word teachers, we automatically oh gosh, I can relax. James is not talking to me. And in that moment, we become overhearers. Uh, We relax and we begin to receive what James is saying that is going to include all of us. And then we're going to discover along the way, as he goes from little section to little section, uh, because we have been disarmed, we're relaxed, we're ready to receive, we along the way begin to say, oh, oh, that's me. Oh, that's me too. And by the end of verse 12, he's captured all of us, that none of us are exempt from the words that he is using to challenge our own words or our tongue. So this pastor's aim is to capture all of us, to find us all 
in these words, in these verses, but also to disarm us so that we're ready to receive them when we, they come our way. And so James continues in verses 2, the rest of verse 2, all the way through verse 5, actually to the end of uh, verse 12, and over these next few verses, Pastor James is saying, just let me tell you what your tongue is like. Uh, can I tell you the qualities and nature of your tongue? And the first thing that he says about the power of your words and my words, or the power of the tongue, is exactly that, that your words are powerful, that our words are powerful. Listen to what he says in verse 2. Indeed, we all make mistakes, for if we can control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Uh, James is putting significant emphasis on the role of the tongue in all of our life, and he's saying, listen, if you have the ability to mind your words... Odds are, if you had self-control there, odds are you would have self-control over the rest of your life. And he's pointing back to us to James chapter 1 and verse 4, well, verses 2 through 4, where he says, listen, when you face all kinds of trouble, when you face all kinds of trouble, I want you to consider an opportunity for great joy because God's going to use that to, to increase your endurance and faith so that you can be complete and lacking in nothing. And so James is saying, listen, if you are able to have the self-control to mind your tongue, odds are you would be a person that's complete and lacking in nothing. You would be a fulfillment of verses 2 through 4. You would be the perfect person. But in that, he is telling us, do you see just how powerful the tongue is. Your words are. They carry significant weight. They shape your life. And then he goes on to give us some really awesome illustrations. What I love about James is that he's pretty simple, pretty clear. We know exactly what he's saying. He said, you know what? You know a horse, a whole horse can be governed by this tiny little instrument you call a bit that you put in its mouth. You can steer this thousand-pound animal to go any direction you want to go. He says in the same way, this huge ocean vessel can be guided by this tiny little rudder. He says in the same way, you need to know that your tongue has that kind of power to shape and steer your entire direction of life. Your tongue carries significant, significant weight. That's the first attribute he wants us to know. We're not surprised by this. We've experienced this, we know this to be true, but let me just affirm it for you in other scriptures. Proverbs 18, verse 20 and 21. Um, listen to these verses. They should pop up on the screen, there we go. Verse 20 says, wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. And then this, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. The tongue has the power to bring death or life. And I don't think James is using hyperbole here. I think he's talking about our very nature. Uh, we know, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, how did, how did God bring creation into, into existence? He spoke it into existence. Let there be Light. And then we, when we come into John chapter 1, and John is beginning to describe Jesus, he calls him the Word. 
And later on, he'll call him the word of life, the word of power. And so we being made in the very image of God, one of the ways that we're shaped in God's image is that we have this unique ability to to frame our thoughts and our desires with words. And just in the same way that they had power when God spoke, and Jesus, the word of God, when he spoke and his life was the word that brought life, so our words, to a lesser degree, carries that kind of significant weight and power. James wants you to know, can I just tell you, your words are powerful. Powerful words. Because you were made in the image of God. So I did a little internal survey uh, this week. Uh, do you know what percentage of children are steered by their parents' words? Do y'all know the percentage? 100%. 100%. Do you know what percentage of spouses are shaped by their spouse's words? 100%. Do you know what percentage of people are shaped by their friend's words? 100%. We know by our very own experience that the old idiom that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me is an absolute farce. Because words carry weight and power. And when we wield them, whether in home or in the workplace with friends or family, they shape the lives of people around us. And even the absence of words have the power to shape the lives of people around us. Power. That's not all he says. He also says, I want you to know that not only are they powerful, but words wielded in the wrong way are incredibly destructive. Verses 5 through 6, he says this, in the same way, uh, the the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Wow, doesn't that make you feel really good about yourself? Hard-edged words. But James, the pastor, wants you to know your words can be incredibly destructive. And and why can they be incredibly destructive? He uses this analogy that Pastor Jimmy also alluded to, that a a tiny little spark can set a whole forest ablaze. I mean, California right now, how many millions of acres have been burnt the past three years because of forest fire? The smallest spark. And he says, "Your, your words can do that, can be incredibly destructive. And, and then he says, I want you to know that your words or your tongue is, uh, within that rests a whole world of wickedness. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? Pastor James means that we can use our words to talk about or to illustrate every kind of wickedness and evil in our world. Uh, right? We can use our words to kill, talk about murder, 
Uh, we can talk, we can use words to give illustrations of lust in our heart. We can, uh, our, our words can shape into greed and selfishness. He says, listen, I want you to know your, your tongue can describe and illustrate uh, and live every kind of evil. You don't even have to take an action towards the things that you say. The words enough embody the wickedness and evil in our world. All of it. All of it can be captured by your tongue. It's a world of wickedness. That, that's why it's destructive. Because it's a world of wickedness. And then he says, listen, I want you to know that your words can't help but be wicked. James 3.6, your words can't help but be wicked. Among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. The things that we say have a way of taking a life on their, of their own and shaping all of who we are. But then he says this, it can set your whole life on fire for it, for it is set on fire by hell itself. James is saying, yes, your words are destructive, but it's not just, the tongue is not the origin of that spark that sets a fire ablaze or a life ablaze. He's saying, listen, the origin is hell itself. And he's, the word there in the Greek is Gehenna, which is actually a transliterated Hebrew word, which was a location outside of Jerusalem where they would burn dead bodies and trash and all kinds of stuff. It was just a hot, horrible place, and he's saying, your words are set on fire by a place like that. It's death. That's where those words spring up from. And again, we find James echoing the brother, the, his, his words of his brother, right? Y'all have heard things like this before. This is Matthew 15, verses 17 through 19. Let me read those. 15, 17 through 19. Do you not understand yet, Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you, Jesus said. Jesus says, your words spring up out of the overflow of your heart. That world of wickedness, that fire of hell. James, just repeating the words of Jesus in a different way. He says in this, verse 19, here he has, here, here's the word of wickedness, world of wickedness. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Uh, Jesus and James both want to make it abundantly clear that your words have power. Uh, your words also have the potential to be great destruction because it is a world of, uh, of wickedness and it springs up out of a heart that is full of wickedness. Full of wickedness. It's destructive. James is making the case that the default of our human heart is wickedness and rebellion and rejection of God. And that kind of heart is a simmering cauldron of lit matches and with great ease ready to be just flung here 
and there, starting small fires, maybe big fires. And he says, your heart is always just at boil. We all know this. We all know this. This is our own experience. This is, this is my experience, too. I, I, I am, by nature, a pretty passive person, or another way to say it, I like to think, calm person. I don't get angry often. Um, I, whether because of my personality, I like to think it's wisdom over the years and God's shaping my life. I think that has a part to play, but I, I typically just don't fling words here and there, which I'm grateful for. Um, but I have thoughts. I know that my mind reacts to different things that happen in life. You know, I can be walking down the grocery aisle and there's a just, you know, right there when you're checking out all the magazines. I, I can be tempted in my own mind towards lustful thoughts, right? And those thoughts can be there and I have a decision to make. Do I shape, continue to shape those thoughts or am I going to give words to those thoughts? We've been there. Or maybe in a moment of frustration where uh, your child has done something and maybe they've disobeyed you for the third or fourth time and you all of a sudden, it's like white hot and the thoughts, you just want to put them in their place and the temptation to yell words at them is right there at the tip of the tongue. You know what I'm talking about. We've been there. You've been there. Our coworker, you know, they've said something about you behind their back, or maybe they've done something that you haven't liked, and that thought just wells up, and there's words of, of, of murder, the stabbing words, and they may, never, they may never actually take shape outside of your mouth, but you have had shared those same kind of thoughts as I've had. As we react to different stimuli in our life, the very the most base nature of our human heart is to react in wickedness, to assert ourselves, to put people in their place, to, to get angry, and which anger in itself is not something that's sinful, but we know the condition of our own human heart because we know the condition of our own thought life. I mean, let's be honest, how many of us would be completely fine with streaming our thoughts on these screens. Would you? I wouldn't. And every single moment we had some external stimulus and we had a screen that popped up and shared our thoughts. No, because we know what they're like. We know we have to put them in check. By the grace of God, we don't spew them out. But the, the, the reality is, is that we know exactly what James is saying, that our heart is a world of wickedness, that what springs out of our corrupt human heart is wicked and evil, and that's where those destructive words come from. So our words are never just hot air, spoken or then gone in an instant. James wants us to know that. Oh, I just said it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say it. It's not the way... Words work. Words tend to linger. They tend to latch on to ourselves and to others. Our words take on a life of their own. That's why blessing and cursing was so significant in the Old Testament because of 
us uniquely being made in the image of God. Blessing a son with words was believed to carry much power. And remember when Balaam was called to curse Israel, the angel of the Lord stopped him because blessings and curses take on a life of their own. Words carry weight. They just, they're just not hot air. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul is instructing this little church that's wrestling with a significant theological issue, and it's taking shape in their community and creating tension. And he says this and at the end of chapter 5. He says, be careful lest you devour one another. And he's talking about the words that they use towards one another. He's saying, before you know it, you're going to say things and things are going to fly out of your mouth, springing from this heart of rebellion and wickedness, and you're going to eat each other alive. That's what James is saying. Your words are destructive. And then verses 7 through 12. Man, it just, I mean, is it just me? But the further we get in this, the, 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 the worse I feel about myself. Verse 7, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. And to add hurt to injury, James says, and you can't do anything about it. You don't have the means to control your tongue. We can control everything else in creation. We can can hold up trillions of tons of water with a dam, but we cannot control our tongue. It's out of control. And then he adds this. He says, not only is it out of control, but it's out of its design. Uh, The tongue is doing things that it wasn't made for. It wasn't made to curse those who are made in the image of God. In the same way that a a fresh water spring wasn't made to bubble out bitter water. James is saying, listen, you don't have the means to control your tongue, and your tongue is so messed up, it's not even doing the things it was made to do. It is doing unnatural things. All wrong. All wrong. Thinking through this week in this text, I've been asking myself the question, why would James write such hard verses to us when at first glance it seems we have no hope to do anything about it? Why would he write that way? Why couldn't he make it seem more positive? Like, there's something you can do. But he doesn't leave us there, not in these 12 verses, 
But the sentiment that we're left with when we finish verse 12 is this. We are in trouble. We're in trouble. And the more I thought about that, it took me back to Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount. Right? When you read, in fact, the whole letter of James is kind of functioning in the same way the Sermon on the Mount is. is, You know, Jesus tackles section here and section here. We find the same kind of pattern in this letter from Pastor James. But when you read through this incredible sermon that Jesus has preached, you come to this realization at the end of that sermon, we're in trouble. I I can't muster up a morality like that, that, uh, you know, I I have wicked thoughts, and if, if a wicked thought is enough to condemn me, I'm in trouble. If, if saying an unkind word or calling my brother a fool is just as equal to murder or having a lustful thought about another woman is just as equal to actual adultery, then I'm in trouble. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted us to feel when reading that verse is that left to yourself, you cannot uh, attain the kind of morality that you would find approval before the Lord God who's made you. You can't do that on your own. And, and I'm convinced that James wants to do the exact same thing with you, with me. He wants us to come to the place at the end of that verse 12 and say, I got nothing. I can't do this. But luckily, we have a whole letter from James. James, who put his faith in his brother Jesus after the resurrection, who found hope in his brother, and who's already told us in verses 2 through 4, I I know you're going to face trouble, and your tongue is a whole world of trouble, but would you consider that an opportunity for great joy? Because God's going to use your struggle with words and your broken, uh, evil heart. He's going to take that struggle And by the grace of God, he's going to work through that to shape you and bend you. As long as you keep your faith and eyes focused on Jesus, he's going to to make you a complete and whole and mature person in faith. James wants you to know, listen, God is going to leave you in that state, in a world of wickedness where your words start fires. I am remaking you. And then if you go to verse or chapter 4, Verse 6, I love this. One of the most well-known passages and verses uh, in James where James is actually quoting a verse from the Old Testament. He says, can I just remind you that God opposes the proud, finish this with me, but gives grace to the humble. That's what James wants. Will you humble yourself? Will you admit that your heart is a whole world of wickedness and you have said things and you're tempted to say things that has started fires in your home and fires in your workplace and fires online? Would you admit that you don't have any control over this thing? And that the only way to have any hope of control is to let go of control and to humble yourself before the Lord. And in verse 1, he says, listen, if, if you need wisdom, you go to the Lord for wisdom. He's going to give you wisdom generously. 
Will we be undivided people and humble people? Will we come to Jesus with, uh, with gr- great humility and say, Jesus, you be my teacher? Forgive me of how I've used my tongue. Forgive this broken human heart and its vileness and its wickedness and its gossipiness and its meanness and its unkindness and its quickness. Would you take all of that, forgive me, and do something about that heart? Only Jesus, listen to me, only Jesus has the means and ability because of what he did on the cross and his life of righteousness and the promise of the Spirit of God to fill our human heart to such a degree that it, that it remakes and restores the human heart and pushes out all of that stuff that kills and murders and lusts. Only Jesus has the means to refill and restore and recreate your human heart. Will you come to him? Will you come to him? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for your grace in your son Jesus that while we were yet sinners, your son died for us. Lord, we rejoice in that. And all of us, we all indeed need your help with the words that are shaped in our heart we want desperately to be the kind of people that sing praise and give praise and give life to others. And only you can do that in us. So help us to sit at the feet of your son. May he be our guide and our redeemer and our restorer so that we can use the kinds of words that he's used to bring life to others and shape our whole life before us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.